Hi and welcome everyone. I'm Brett Dunstan from Mining Green and today I'm speaking to Oystein Rushfield, uh, CEO of Nisia Assa, who are developing the world's first fully electric underground copper mine in the up in the north of Norway. It's uh, electrification of the mine industry is something I'm really interested in, particularly underground, so I'm interested in hearing more, more from Oystein on what's going on up there. So welcome Oystein and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So, curious about you know your background and how how you ended up you know working on this project, developing you know the Nisa Nisa project up, up in Norway. Yeah, I can describe it. Um, uh, it's it's a obviously a long uh, journey uh, coming to such a decision, but but mainly I have been working uh, as a professional mining engineer, a metallurgist for. Uh, 34 years, and uh, during the first um, uh, two-thirds of that time, I've been working for multinational companies all over the world with assets in Norway, and I've been mainly heading their operations, and I've seen a lot of uh, uh, capital and goods uh, traveling out of the country without uh, making too much um, benefits in Norway. Uh, that is just how it is. That's the, the, the multinationals are professional. They are doing a very good job, but it doesn't create uh, that much local value. So uh, I decided at some time that uh, I should uh, personally do something about it and, and uh, see if we could start up uh, a new mine in Norway that would be owned and, and run from uh, Norway. And that is what we are about to do. And since uh, uh, th this is a difficult target anyway to, to uh, make a, a, a regional or, or Norwegian uh, mining company, then why not make it even more difficult and go all the way and see if we at the same time also can do things that uh, hasn't been done before and that can lead away and, and sort of be a, a lighthouse for other uh, mining enthusiasts around the world. And that is, uh, uh, I think, the most important goal that we all have is to do something about the climate crisis. And we can do two things uh, in the mining sector. We can uh, produce those uh, valuable metals, uh, but we can also produce them in a way which uh, solves uh, the problem and not just makes the problem bigger by uh, having CO2 emissions from from mining, so uh, cutting the emissions from mining is is um, it, it's actually uh, a must in my opinion because we, we will have to be part of the solution. In Norway, like how, how big is uh, you know it's hard to know from this side of the world in Australia we don't hear too much about Norway, but how, how big is, your, is the mining strip there? Is is it you know it's a fair bit going on? Oh, mining in Norway. So, uh, yeah, uh, the mining uh, sector in Norway is uh, smaller. It's, it's medium-sized. It's smaller than Finland and Sweden. And uh, the, the simple reason for that is that uh, it used to be very similar to the other Nordic countries, quite, quite, uh, quite thriving, uh, up to uh, 70s and towards 80s. But then the oil and gas industry just picked up uh, all the attention, the people, the capital, and it's uh, for good reasons. And it has stayed like this for uh, yeah, almost for, for two generations. 
But these days we are seeing that uh, oil and gas is actually um, coming down. The uh, the production is uh, is less every year because uh, the uh, the Norwegian Sea is um, a, it's, it's in a late cycle, uh, and uh, Norwegian politicians have also realized that oil and gas is not there for um, for the future. So uh, other sectors are being uh, looked at again. Uh, and mining uh, is one of them, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's uh, easy. We are, we are still having a very major oil and gas sex, uh, sector that we are competing with for uh, people and cash. Right. On. So, how how is the development of the of the Nisir project progressing at the moment? Yeah, you know, is it going going to plan? Yep, yeah, we, we are the this year we are. Um, uh, going according to plan. So we have uh, passed the uh, feasibility study um, uh, level of, of uh, a def- definitive study. We, we have done the, uh, the previous uh, pre-feasibility and the uh, uh, preliminary, preliminary um, uh, studies before that uh, with gold and, and now with uh, SRK. So, so uh, we are doing uh, detailed engineering uh, currently, and we are preparing the uh, financing. So, so that is taking uh, almost all of our resources currently, and we do hope that we are financed and then can make the uh, the final um, go ahead decision um, uh, in the second half of uh, this year. So, we we are well on our way to that. Yeah, and do you feel with being sort of a agree in a sort of mind that it'd be easier getting that finance than if you're just a sort of diesel, you know, equipment sort of mine, you know, is that helping? Yeah. When, when we started talking to the capital markets uh, already uh, some years ago to, to get to know them and to, uh, to prepare and um, be ready, uh, the electrification, green mines and uh, uh, the, uh, the green shift, was not discussed uh, at all. It was not even mentioned. And capital markets, uh, even w- when the machinery started to become available some years ago, it, there was no interest uh, from capital markets. And then uh, a good year ago, it started to turn, and it, it turned uh, very quickly. And uh, what we are seeing today uh, is that uh, at least the capital markets that uh, we are talking to in, in the Western Hemisphere uh, probably will not be that interested in a old-fashioned uh, diesel uh, mine project. So I think for us, it's uh, it was never a uh, question anymore, and uh, we were anyway anyway quite prepared for for the situation as we have been looking at uh, electrification for quite a few years, and um, we I would say that we were really ready for this uh, very very strong uh, green shift in the capital markets. So it was never a point that you were looking at developing the mine that not fully electric is always from inception is going to be, you know, fully electric sort of. I think that in, in um, not too many years, in, in, we, are, we will be an underground mine. And I think that uh, uh, there will not be a long time before uh, diesel underground will be banned uh, in, in Maybe first in in our countries and in in the Euro- Europe uh, European area, uh, and, and then then you have to uh, do your electrification 
anyway, maybe in five, seven, eight years' time. Uh, and then you will be uh, behind. Then your infrastructure and your mining method will be all uh, wrong because it's, it's not really made for uh, electric uh, operation and know that we have made a decision we know exactly what we need with regard to we, we need a lot more power uh, cabling and uh, charges and, and the electric infrastructure we'll need a lot less ventilation which is good when you are in the in the nordic area with the uh, cold winters and the heating of ventilation and, and uh, the, the sizing of ventilation so we don't have to do a lot uh, there and I think that the mine itself will be different. There will be um, the mining methods will be adjusted to electrification, which is good to do from from the very beginning, of course. Definitely makes sense to be able to do design a greenfields mine as electric rather than trying to, you know, have an existing mine and make make electric sort of equipment fit. Um, will the will the mine be? You know, taking a lot of the, the electricity from from renew, renewables, that would be like one hundred percent renewables. I've heard there's a lot of hydropower up where the, towards where the mine. Yeah, is. in in, uh, in our area in the north of Norway, we we have um, excess uh, amount of uh, uh, electric energy from uh, almost exclusively from uh, hydropower and some wind power which means that uh, uh, the uh, electrons are flowing out of northern Norway and, and not into the area, which also means that the, the uh, power prices are very stable, low, uh, below even below three cents per kilowatt hour. So uh, uh, we know exactly wh- where the um, energy comes from, uh, since there is no practically no import. And uh, I would guess that it's 97% uh, hydro and uh, the, the remaining part, um, some windmill farms. So it's, it's uh, indeed uh, renewable. So you know you've got green power going in and using electric equipment, so it's about as green as you can get. Yeah, I think that in in countries where you don't have this situation at all, where where, uh, where a lot of the electric- electricity is coal-fired, and if, if you buy the electricity from somewhere else in the world, from hydropower, it's not really uh, coming from hydropower production. It's it's kind of a scheme where, where it's um, an economic transaction. And then it's um, it's a little bit different to, to actual uh, produced uh, local uh, renewable. So I think that uh, w- the world should focus uh, not only on, on your ability to, to buy quotas, but also on your ability to have actual uh, production in, in your area to put up windmill farms or, or solar farms or, or or have a hydro power um, so that it's, it's clear that your um, energy is, is for real, is, uh, is regional, local, and and renewable so you, you you know it's coming from a local source you know that it is renewable i know that there's a number of mines in australia that are setting up you know solar and wind and batteries and those sorts of things to have you know their own green green electricity so you know what what they've what they've got uh, yeah so what you know what are some of the challenges you get you having you know you've been having to deal with in in making 
in this era of you know, fully electric mine. Yeah, I think that the, the, the main challenge uh, ha- is and, and has been all the way the uh, the price of the equipment. It's it's really expensive, uh, and it is expensive to the a degree where it's um, uh, not viable. Uh, so uh, if it uh, if we would have to do all of that um, uh, financing uh, alone, I think that would be that would have been uh, too problematic. But uh, in Norway, we have a state uh, fund, Enova, and uh, Enova is um, uh, giving uh, grants if you are a front runner, a, a, a true front runner, doing something new in your area, which is either new in in Norway or, or new internationally and, and leading the way. Uh, in such cases, you can have up to 40 or 50% of your additional cost for electrification covered by a, a grant from this fund. And it, so it's a, it's a grant, it's not a loan or, or something uh, we would have to pay back. It's just a pure grant. And this makes the uh, decision also financially uh, viable and uh, of course we have had very very um, lengthy talks with uh, the uh, supplier of the machinery if they also could be looking at our case as a showcase and then uh, from their side also take a part of this um, heavy burden and, and uh, assist so that uh, we become a truly electric uh, all electric mine and that we <coughs> also becomes a, a visiting area for new customers of this uh, of the vendor. Yep. It's definitely hard when you're the you know first or one of the first to use the equipment and it's still you know there's not enough market for the prices to come down and it hasn't been tested enough so yeah it's sort of a chicken and egg sort of thing that you need to get more yeah. come out there for it to come down but <laughs> makes it hard for the, the front runners like yourself. I know you probably covered some of the benefits of going electric before, but you know, any anything else, any other big benefits you see from going electric? Yeah, we just talked about the the electric mine is a different mine, and the, and and the more you think about it, the more you dive into it, uh, the more different uh, different it becomes. So the, what we are doing now is that we are uh, our mine is a very traditional underground sub level open stopping operation. Uh, with a very uh, uh, thin ore body with a dip of 60 degrees. So there will be a lot of uh, tunneling and a, a lot of ore, um, uh, no, sorry, uh, drill drifts, that, that it will be massive amount of drill drifts. And in all mines, they will be flat. Uh, there's no reason to do anything else. So, so they will be uh, horizontal. But if you have, uh, for, the, for the diesel machine, that makes sense. But if you have an electric machine, you would like your uh, drill drifts to have an inclination from the from the, t- the tipping point where your ore is uh, loaded into a, a, um, a shaft. And then if you have this inclination all the way up to, to the area where you are m- producing and mucking up ore, you will take it downhill with the load and you will regenerate electricity from the gravity uh, position of, of the ore, which needs to go uh, anyway to go downwards towards the uh, loading point, and the, the, and then go um, up 
again uh, without load and then you using part of that energy and then then your battery might last eight hours rather than four hours so uh, this is something you would never even think about in a diesel mine but it makes a lot of sense in the electric mine so the electric mine will be also physically different and then when it comes to the bottom you would avoid having very very heavy trucks going up to your processing plants because the trucks are trucking uh, ore, but it's also trucking a lot of metal, uh, which is a heavy load on, on batteries. So we, we will be doing all of that uh, logistics with conveyables. It is expensive, but the conveyable is only conveying some rubber and all of the ore. And for an electric operation, that is quite uh, important to, to avoid this uh, transport of, uh, of machinery. Uh, so um, and with the, the price of electricity in northern Norway, that also makes sense. It's a little more more of uh, investments, but it will give you lower operational costs in the future, which is what most mines are actually living from: uh, low opex and and surviving. If you have uh, a high, you ha- you have a low capex and you get going, but you have a high opex, and then suddenly there is fluctuations in your, uh, in the copper price and your mine is closed. So that is something we uh, certainly would like to, to avoid. No, definitely yeah, good to hear you using the conveyors because a lot of mines, at least here in Australia, is the decline haul to the surface. So it's, it's electric equipment is a lot more challenging because it's having to do a lot more battery swaps and all that. So it's a harder barrier. So if you can actually design your mine where you can have conveyors so that you, know, you don't, you don't have to do have those those issues, then it's a lot easier. You might have you know really got much higher capex up front, but be a lot cheaper, to, you know, going forward. Yeah, yeah. We 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 did have uh, some years ago. We we had a, a spiral version of the mine with a lot of traffic and and this uh, spiral ramps. That is all gone now, so there is no no such thing. It's all um, all the main decline and the main transport level and some of the access levels are all straight to cater for uh, um, conveyor belts uh, most of the places and and then we will see if we can have more some flexibility with the use of conveyor belts and we will use a a number of uh, smaller uh, crushers semi-mobile crushers and the crushers will automatically will pick up uh, ore from the ore passes automatically without any handling, because handling is, is costly when you have costly electric machines, and then bring it to the main conveyor belt system automatically. And these crushers will then uh, move uh, along as we uh, move it further into the mine. And we, we will have m- much more, more ore passes than in a diesel mine. So the, the ore passes will be fairly close to each other. They are costly. But which means that the uh, transport of ore in the drill drifts to the ore pass will be so short that you can use LHDs only, and uh, and again avoid the trucking, which is uh, trucking is a problem in in the electric. So, so there won't be any trucks or trucking underground. There will have to be some trucking on the uh, development going further in, but uh, for operation we will try to avoid trucking at all. And like, have have you been? Oh, there's a, a few other mines around the world that are gone or you know going electric. Have you 
been learning from any of these of what does or doesn't work and those sorts of things? Yeah, we have had very lengthy talks with uh, Borden Mine in, in Canada. Fantastic, enthusiastic people up there. And uh, we still have contact with uh, with some of them. And uh, we, we, we have, have been able to get a lot of information from them. And we will share our information with anyone. Anyone can uh, come and visit us or ask for all the details. There is no competition uh, in the world with regard to electrification. It's, it's all, uh, we are all on the same uh, team. Uh, uh, the whole mining sector needs to, uh, to uh, electrify and we can only help. And when we also have this uh, help from the Norwegian state, we are obliged to, to share. That's the reason for giving us the grant is that we should share all our experience and then uh, have this ripple effect. Uh, you have these rings in, in the water spreading out. So that is the whole idea that um, we are, we talk to people that are looking at the same thing, and we are open to to give out everything that we learn. Sort of yeah, collaborating, share the knowledge because you know, a lot of people yeah. don't really they're not yeah. used to electric equipment or electric mining and how that works. So the more you can share, you know, the better. Because I know like here in Australia we've got electric mine consortium that sort of fosters that between mining companies and OEMs and. There's different groups, I know, elsewhere around the world that try to try to have you know help you know foster that sort of collaboration. So, yeah, the more we, more we can get, the better. Read that you've um, on the equipment, the OEM front, you've you've partnered with Epiroc. That that's right. So, what was yes. was the the reason of going for with them over like a Sandvik or I suppose Sandvik's probably only the main one. Yeah. We have been talking to uh, a number of uh, vendors, uh, and we are still talking to to some of them on on the parts of the equipment that is uh, still out for decisions. Uh, but for for the main machinery, the key machinery, uh, we we talk to uh, uh, the European companies only. It's it's a lot about uh, standardization and. Uh, we, we think that we need these companies fairly close to us. So, so we, we have talked to uh, a, a few companies, uh, three, four companies, and uh, the competition ended up with two of them in the lead. Uh, and obviously that is uh, Sandvik and uh, Epiroc. Uh, and they were extremely uh, tight and, and close and both doing a, a lot of good job. And I think that uh, both of uh, the to these two companies would have worked perfectly well. Uh, we did choose uh, Eproc uh, for for some re- reasons on on the um, uh, they were leaning forward a little bit more to be there uh, on site uh, with the, and and doing some more work with this um, the Norwegian entity, uh, which will be uh, our contact point in in the when the the sh- when the party is over and we are in, uh, going back to ordinary days, ordinary production, they will be quite close to us and uh, assist us. So, um, so we we did choose Eproc. We we found that they were uh, a small, uh, small bit uh, better, but uh, we can certainly uh, recommend both Sandvik and Eproc. There is it's not 
it's not a lot of a difference. And then we are looking yeah. at the, 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 all the other machines that um, are these uh, assisting machines, machines doing all these smaller operations. And we are looking at uh, mainly Normet and McLean. And they haven't finally uh, decided uh, yet. You know, it's uh, hard to get your hand, you know, it's, there's plenty of OUMs to get your, your head over. I suppose it's just, you know, making sure you choose the right ones that fit, fit for your mind. And, you know, the, the support is probably, like like you said, probably the, the big thing, having a local local team definitely helps. Being electric, has that, has that helped with getting lo- like locals on, on side, you know, and getting your, social, your sort of your social license to operate and all that so that you've got community behind the mine or you think they would have been behind it anyhow? The, the community is absolutely um, uh, working um, proactively to have mining arriving to their uh, local community. They have had mining, copper mining earlier. They know perfectly well uh, the, uh, the pros and cons of mining and uh, they have made a, a very... Um, uh, what you say, uh, educated uh, decision uh, in their uh, political boards in, in the local municipality. So, so for them, it, it is all about having a, a small, uh, um, small town in, in northern Norway uh, turning around this uh, uh, situation where, where people are moving away and, and uh, focusing on, on actually on surviving as a Society. So for them, it is uh, all about having uh, new uh, jobs and, and uh, new uh, life and activity uh, into their area. It's uh, they is certainly um, positive to electrification, but it, it does. It's it's not uh, uh, a thing that is um, critical for them. It was never. They never asked us to do electrification. Uh, so, so that um, there's no such connection, really. That's, yeah, and that's good to hear. Now, I suppose it's quite a, you know, it's not a hugely populated area, and I suppose it's, you know, you can quite easily go one way or the other. So, it's good to have the community on side behind you, makes it getting the project up and going, you know, a, a hell of a lot easier than if they, they weren't so in favour. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, for for the uh, so for the locals, it is most important to have a new company coming uh, to and and with a couple of hundred employees, it's uh, it's uh, it's an uh, the, the the very local area has thousand uh, thousand inhabitants. It's the the local community and the local municipality have ten thousand. So it's 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 a big uh, um, uh, working place. For them, but but uh, for the regional politicians and for the uh, parliament members from northern Norway, they, they for them uh, the electrification is an additional good argument when they are meeting uh, other uh, groups or parties that are uh, not that interested in mining at all or or doesn't understand the connection uh, to the uh, green shift and the need for some metals. So for them, uh, it is uh, obviously quite important that we are uh, electric. Uh, it's good to have mine. as many kicks against the project as you can, like, and it's, I suppose it's just yep. one more positive to add to the list. I know it's not you know super remote, but up in you know the north, 
of north of the country where the mine is it's they get gets quite harsh sort of you know rate sort of conditions like with would that you know, pose any problems with the the electric gear, like working that you know? I suppose I know you'd be underground, but yeah, pose any problems? Well, actually, it's it's uh, it's good you ask because the answer is not exactly what you would um, expect. Uh, because um, a lot of people that I meet in 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 Toronto or London or or Zurich or wherever we t- we travel to talk to uh, uh, suppliers or, or capital markets. They have this um, idea that uh, northern Norway will, will be harsh climate like Siberia or, or Alaska. But um, actually, it's, it's not uh, the, the case at all. Uh, in, in northern Norway, people uh, never realized that they were uh, in an Arctic area or, or that they were different from southern Norway. It's, it's not such a big difference. And the reason... For that is uh, the Gulf Stream. So the Gulf Stream brings uh, relatively warm water up the coast of Norway, all all the all the way up to the to the top uh, of Norway, which is then bordering with Russia. And then the heating effects stops uh, at the end of Norway. And if as you go into Russia, uh, I think everyone knows that uh, uh, Russia and Murmansk have these icebreakers. Uh, uh, atomic icebreakers, uh, but but um, just to compare the the situation where you need uh, fantastic huge icebreakers in in Murmansk, which is not too far away from from us, uh, in, in Reparfjord, where the uh, plant is being built and where the shipment of uh, concentrate will happen, uh, there is no ice in the fjord at any time during. Uh, the year, so the, it's an ice-free fjord all year round, and the the coldest temperatures in the winter is like uh, minus ten and maybe minus fifteen at the worst, which is not really anything to talk about if you're in inland Canada or <laughs> inland Sweden or Finland, where you might have minus thirty or minus forty. So it's it's really um, the 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 uh, in the winter times in January there might be. Uh, in, in up in the hills, uh, some rough uh, winds, but not much uh, snow really. So pe- people we, in this area, we have um, uh, quite a few uh, cities, uh, oil and gas hubs, and, and these cities have uh, everything you find also in Oslo or Stockholm or Helsinki and cultural houses and uh, and the modern life. And we have uh, within one hour drive, we have three airports. From, from the site, uh, two of the airports with direct uh, flights, Boeing 737 flights to, to Oslo, and one of the airports can also take uh, Boeing 747 and Airbus A380. I've actually seen two 747s at this airport at some time with uh, people coming uh, from uh, to, to see Santa Claus. <laughs> so it's, it's fantastic uh, infrastructure, highways open all year round. So it's not a harsh climate. Uh, it's, it's pretty much just n- n- normal uh, Norway. Compared to Australia, it's probably it's be harsh. But like you know, for anyone that's used to a little bit of cold, then it's probably be fine. Yeah, that sounds like sounds like it's you're well set up with respects to infrastructure and all those sorts of things. So you know, you, yeah, it's not not too many. So it's not really too many big, you know. Hold ups or big issues that you get a that's going to be you know 
causing too many big problems up there. I know, I know you, you've got your DFS uh, coming sort of towards the uh, you know, later this year, um, but how, you know, how far off before you know, you're going to start getting into the mining and breaking the ground and start you know, getting, there, getting going? Yeah, we, we, uh, I do hope that we can do preparations this year for uh, the uh, uh, portal and for the establishment of uh, the underground mine contractor at the end of uh, the year before uh, uh, winter sets in. And then uh, we should be starting actual uh, uh, mining or, or the, the decline and the development uh, in the spring of, uh, of next year. And then it will take some time before the decline uh, enters the, uh, the ore body area and then starts spreading out into uh, to the transport level and to the ventilation uh, top level and ore passes and drill drifts. So that all of that would, would take uh, about two years. And the electric machinery, machinery will enter into operation gradually during those uh, two years and then going into an uh, operational phase, which should uh, be uh, at that time all electric. So it, it, uh, because there are delivery times, on, uh, some of these equipment will have quite long delivery times. And it's not being better these days with all these uh, um, uh, things happening with with uh, comp- components and steel, and uh, so so we we do have to be a little bit patient uh, until all the machinery is uh, in place. It will be one by one machine over some two two and a half years arriving. Getting the decline, I just thought like you need to get your decline in a bit to be able to do some more exploration drilling or you think you've got you've got plenty of holes into you know so you're confident with yeah. the ore body we, we will be continuing uh, drilling from the the main decline all the way down to the transport level which is 300 meter below sea uh, surface and and then as uh, we go further into uh, the the ore body has currently a, a strike length of 10 kilometers uh so it's it's quite quite massive, and as we go uh, along at, at, on the deeper uh, transport level, where you also will have the conveyor belt, we will continue the um, uh, the uh, exploration uh, from uh, from the uh, transport uh, tunnel, and and then there w- there will be uh, uh, core drilling. Uh, all the way, like every uh, uh, 60, 70, or maybe every eight, 80 meters and uh, in a fan going all the way in. We do have drilling in this, these areas, but, but the drilling at that depth is more sparse. And we, we mainly, at that depth, we mainly have inferred material. So, so yes, the, the drilling will, will continue. We can also drill uh, deeper from, from that level because it's the, the, the Nusir ore body is sitting in the Nusir mountain. And as you uh, go up the mountain, in order to to drill deeper, uh, it it goes. In the end, it it becomes just too deep for uh, for drilling. We we have uh, the we have the Norwegian record of deep drilling uh, on land or as well, uh, and and the ore body just continues and continues. We have no idea how big the ore body is because there is currently no no end. So you could be setting up for quite a. A long life 
mine, I, you don't really always know how much is down there, but you know it could be could go on for a number of years. Yeah, we do see this type of deposit, which is um, very very similar to the African copper belt and the Polish Kupfer Schiefer, and it's it's quite unique. It's not seen very often seen around the world. It's it's uh, it's a rare type of deposit, but these deposits are typically. Uh, extending for uh, hundreds of square kilometers, uh, um, and uh, the uh, Nusi deposit could be uh, similar to this, but uh, we just don't know because uh, the drilling is is too too demanding and too expensive to continue, and we'll have to start operating and then continue drilling as we operate. So, obviously, the the as as we have seen in Africa and, and Poland, the uh, operations could continue for for. 50 years and maybe 100 years. So most of the companies I've worked in, worked with in Norway have uh, had their 100-year uh, birthdays uh, anyway, so it's it's quite possible. So the plans have you got in your feasibility studies at the moment, like what sort of you know production mine life you've got, got on that at the moment? The, the, the production, uh, um, we do have a, a tailings permit at 2 million tons per year. So that is the, uh, that is the, uh, the maximum we could do uh, uh, currently. If the, if the mine should exceed um, those volumes, we would have to renew our permit. And that's not going to happen in the... It's a hard process. It's a very, very lengthy process. So it's not going to happen in the first few years so i do think that we, we will see nusi operating um, between 1.8 and and at the maximum 2 million tons per year so okay uh, great to hear good good luck uh, getting into it and uh, seeing what's down there but i think that's pretty well everything i think i've got at the moment so is there i don't know if there's anything that you think i missed and anything else you'd like to you might want to add that we missed out yeah, I, th- I think what's important. It's also important to mention that the uh, the ore body itself is is um, quite unique, uh, uh, being one of the cleanest ore bodies in the world. There's absolutely no other sulfides than uh, the copper sulfides. There are no uh, uh, meaningful levels of other uh, bad metals like arsenic and um, cadmium. These kind of metals. It's it's all clean to down to the low ppms so it's it's and it's also uh during the process it's also producing one of the highest grade uh, concentrates in the world market so we we have seen uh uh, testing of the ore body going all the way up from around 45 percent copper in the in the concentrate up to 62 percent copper in concentrate at 96 percent recovery which is according to SGS Lakefield in Toronto is a world record. So it's it's a fantastic uh, ore body and uh, we should take very well care of it and produce it uh, with uh, the most environmental friendly um, methods in the world so that it all goes uh, well together, being a clean uh, ore body, being produced in a clean way, going to the cleanest uh, smelters in the world, producing copper metal, that is cleaner than anything the world have seen uh, so far. And, and then doing our small part. And if we can inspire others to do similar, then that is even more important than our uh, production of, of metal. Thank you. Now, 
thanks for your time. I think that's that's all I've got got for now. But thank you and and all the best with getting getting Nissa up and running. Interesting to to watch how it goes. Excellent. And thanks to you, Brett. Thanks for the work that you are doing. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Green, where we share inspiring stories of how the mining industry is leading the way to a net zero future. Don't forget to subscribe down below and please feel free to leave any feedback you might have in the comment section below. Until next time, see you then. Thank you.